This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. We have all heard the phrase, better, faster, cheaper. You can have any two. But is that actually true? Yes, of course it's true. But we're going to talk about it anyways, because this is really a conversation about quantity and quality which is ultimately a conversation about value. Welcome to episode 69, Better, Faster, Cheaper. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're gonna talk about better and faster and cheaper, but not necessarily in that order. I think we should start off with the basic premise. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody on the planet understands the better, faster, cheaper. You can have any two. Let's hope. Let's hope. That's one of my favorite Venn diagrams. Let's just make sure that people understand it. Yeah. So the idea is that you have better and you have faster and you have cheaper and you can't ever have all three of those things at the same time. You can have two of them, like you can have better and you can have faster, but it's going to cost you a ton. Or you can have faster and you can have cheaper, but it ain't going to be better. Right. And you can have better, you can have cheaper. No, you can't. See? You can't have any two. (laughs) I don't know how you can have better. Yes, you can, but it won't be it won't be faster. Hold on. I misspoke. Okay, so you can have better and faster, but it won't be cheaper. You can have faster and cheaper, but it won't be better. And you can have better and you can have cheaper, but it won't be faster. Did I say them all? Is that all of them? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Explained. There it is. I use good instead of better normally. So it's good, right? You can have good. It's gooder. No, just good. Good, fast, and cheap. Yeah. No errs. Good, fast, and cheap. I like the symmetry of having ER on the end of every word. Okay. Right? Gooder. Fair. Faster, cheaper. Or good, fast, cheap. It's got to be one or the other. That's what I said. Yes. Okay. No errs on my version. <laughs> but yes, the, the idea, right, is that you can have- I'm extra. I know. You can have it. I guess the biggest one there is always good and cheap. You can get that, but it's going to be slow, right? That's the thing. And the way I always explain that was, if you want something good and cheap, I'm not going to put a lot of effort into it. It's going to be on the back burner. So I'll get there when I get there, when it comes to professional services or services that you give people. That's how it ends up being cheaper because it's not on my forefront and I'm not really, it's not a a top of list job, right? You know, the only time that I really came up where I was concerned was back in my younger days when I briefly flirted with moonlighting and and it was mm-hmm. the idea that then i made a policy for myself about it and it was the if some friend of mine said hey i want to do this kitchen edition will you help me out and i go yeah you're my buddy so i'm going to give you the friends and family discount so i'm going to do it for you for cheaper because we're buddies yeah and i found that those folks the people that you extended that kind of hey i'll do this for less than i normally charge they're like the most demanding and so <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, they're difficult. So I said, look, here's what you get. Either you pay me full price and then you have the right to make every demand that any client would make. Like there's deliveries and there's deadlines and you have expectations that come along mm-hmm. with paying full price. But if you don't pay full price, yeah, yeah. you get what I got to give when I got to give it. That's kind of how it is. Exactly. To trade, either pay for it, yeah, make demands or don't pay for it really. And you don't get to make any demands. So there you go. Yeah, you get to get it when, when yeah. you get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Better and cheaper. And then I think the other two combinations are are fairly explanatory. Yeah. I think, anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we'll say everybody gets it. Now we've set the bar. Yeah. Everybody understands. So, but before we take this particular conversation Mm -hmm. any further, there's another kind of concept that I want to introduce. And it's the whole idea of you get what you pay for, which this is kind of makes me think back to John Ruskin and his common law of business balance, which I wrote a post on years ago, which basically explains why you can't pay less and get more. Like it's a business impossibility. For those of you who don't know, because I don't know who would know this, mm-hmm. like this is a deep cut. John Ruskin was a 19th century English poet, a fervent art critic, and not surprisingly, a socialist. So, so here's what he wrote, and I, I think it's worth. So this is a, this is a this is a quote. What a combination, right? It's an interesting mix. So here's actually what he wrote, quoted: "There is hardly anything in the world that someone cannot make a little worse." and sell a little cheaper. And the people who consider price alone are that person's lawful prey. It's unwise to pay too much, but it's worse to pay too little. For when you pay too much, you lose a little money. That's all. When you pay too little, you sometimes lose everything because the thing you bought was incapable of doing the thing it was bought to do. The common law of business balance prohibits paying a little and getting a lot. It can't be done. And if you deal with the lowest bidder, it is well to add something for the risk you run. And if you do that, you have enough money to pay for something better. That's the idea. Yeah, that was a real eloquent way to put it, I think. Maybe a little tough to follow at times. (laughs) That's a very 19th century way to state that. But yes, right? You can't pay for less for something and expect it to do more. Yeah, it's out of sync. It's going to be broken. I like that analogy. It's going to be broken <laughs> or not make the purpose for which you're yeah, paying for. Yeah, it's incapable of doing the thing it was bought to do. This is a classic quote on the possible folly of automatically choosing low cost is the best way to make a purchase decision. You know, if I have A and B and mm-hmm. I just say, well, give me the, the cheaper one, right? Why would I pay more for something that if this other cheaper version would do the same thing? The idea of this appeals to those who believe or want to persuade others to believe that price is a possible indicator of quality. Well, you know, that's not always true, but it does align with my way of, of thinking simply because I tend to see it played out this way on job sites. You know, and there's, there's exceptions to this rule. Yeah. Right. But for real, sure. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Really good contractors tend to work with really good subcontractors. And the combination of these two things generally translates into a superior product, which translates into a more expensive product, right? That's pretty natural. You want better, you tend to pay for mm-hmm. better because guys can charge more who are capable of doing more. One plus one is two. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was going to say that tendency happens a lot in public work where it goes to low bidder. I've dealt with that a lot in my career. But over the past 20 years, I've seen that idea go away for that exact reason, right? It's kind of you get what you pay for. So there's lots of problems with cheaper labor, cheaper construction projects and things like that. And they realize they may not need to take the highest bidder, but somewhere in the middle is usually better as far as a balance of quality and cost. And so they've started adjusting those qualifications. Well, the other consideration, especially where construction is concerned, and I talk to people about this, particularly clients all the time, and it has to do with finding you know, an appropriate balance between product and cost, because aren't we talking value at that point? The difference between product and cost is the things that you value. And if you don't appreciate the more expensive item and you can't tell the difference between something 
and it's less expensive alternative, how can there be value in paying for it? That's not a hard concept to understand. Yeah. The only time this really becomes an issue is when someone wants to pay for the cheaper alternative, but expects the quality level to remain unchanged. And that simply doesn't work out. Yeah, which happens a lot. Yeah, because it doesn't, the expectations yeah. are not in alignment with the cost. And we all know it. Mm-hmm. I've never met a client ever who just didn't understand if I say, look, this one's more expensive and it does 10 things. Here's the cheaper version does five things. And they go, well, I want to pay for this cheaper version, but I want to get all the things and get that all the more 10 things. version does. <laughs> yeah. How does that yeah. work? I mean, who, where does that ever show up in the world? I don't know. And I always wonder where it comes from even. I guess it's part of human nature or something that's been worked into our psyche over the years. But yeah, I don't know where that ever actually works out. It doesn't. That cheaper is of the same quality. You know, I think some people kind of back themselves into it because it might be like, like on my own home renovation. You know, I had a budget. Mm -hmm. This kind of segues into the next example that I use a lot of time. And it's the big bag of nothing concept, which was something that I came up with as a way of kind of explaining it. And it has to do with, you know, saying big bag of nothing before I kind of co-opted it for my purposes. It's basically referring to someone who will talk at length about a subject they don't know anything about. And it's not much different than saying someone's full of hot air or all talk and no action, that sort of thing. But I co-opted it into a way to talk about different types of clients and the way they approach their construction budgets. Yeah. And so the easiest way to describe it involves two bags. And in this case, the bag is a metaphor for the client's project budget. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first version is client one views their bag as empty, but sized to accommodate the budget, meaning they can put $500,000 worth of stuff in that bag. And the way that they perceive things, they select an object or an item and they put it into the bag. And after a while, the bag is full, but they still have items left that they want to put inside that $500,000 capacity bag. So what do they do? They cram it in on top. They jam it in the side. They, you know, whatever yeah. they can do, as long as they can get it in that bag. And don't worry about the fact that some of these items that are already in there are getting smashed and broken and deformed. It doesn't matter. All they care about is everything has to get in that bag. So as a result, everything's a little worse, but there's more goodies in the bag. Mm-hmm. That... That, my friend, is the quantity over quality person way to look at that. Yeah, for sure. The other version is the same kind of concept. Client two has their $500,000 bag, but the way that they see it, their budget is already in the bag. So they select items from the list and they take the money out of the bag to cover the cost. And when the bag is empty, they're done. They stop pulling items off the list, right? And they may not get as much stuff, but what they do get is going to be exactly what they wanted. Yeah, the quality that they want. That's a mentality that, I mean, every client I've ever dealt with easily falls within one silo or the other. Yeah. There's like almost never a gray area. When I think in my experience in public work, they all fall in one of those bags, not both of those bags. (laughs) You're both mostly dealing with the quantity over quality. right. Because they just want to get as much as they can, which, you know, I mean, I, I can understand that to a certain extent. In the public sector, there are certain things that they have to have. You know what? I can understand that to a great extent. I did it on my own home renovation, right? I said, hey, I have got $60,000 or $80,000 and I want to do these hundred things. Which ones make sense? And then during construction, I was like, well, I really want that done. 
So let's take off the crown mold in this room or, or I hired this contractor because he's not as expensive as some of these better contractors. So my money will go a little mm -hmm. bit further, but because I know better, I managed my expectations. So when things weren't as good as they could have been. Yeah. You kind of had to let it go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't blow a gasket because I was like, well, I didn't pay this guy yeah. enough for perfection. Yeah. But most clients, they don't, they expect the perfection and they just want to pay as little as possible for yeah. it. That's when there's always a yeah. problem. Yeah, for sure. Just as a side note, you're saying of what, whatever it was, the bag of empty hot air and all that. <laughs> I was thinking. Big bag of nothing. The Texas version of that, right, is all hat, no cattle. Isn't that the way the saying goes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the all hat, no cattle. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So here's something else. I probably have a half dozen anecdotes or I could tell you about this. So this happened on, an, I might even told this on the podcast at another time. I, th I'm, I know I've told you this story, but it was the idea that we got hired to do a project and the client came to us and they said, I want you to design me a million dollar house. And here's my programming. And we looked at it and we said, okay, we can do this. So we did it and we priced it and it came in like right at a million dollars. Like we nailed it. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the client came to us and said, Hey, um, I actually want to do it for $800,000. Let's cut and, 20% out of the budget. Yeah, he says, I just, and we're yeah. like, well, okay, well, you said it was a million. We made it, it was right at a million dollars. We killed it. So what do you want to get rid of? He goes, I don't, I don't, I want to get rid of anything. I just want it to cost less. And so we're like, well, that was, that's not really how it works. So he went through the process of saying, well, we need to have other people price it. Mm -hmm. And all the people that we worked with that were qualified to do this house, their numbers, uh, give or take, you know, a percentage point or two here and there. Yeah, plus or, or minus five. Everyone, yeah, yeah, they were yeah. they were all around a million dollars. After we'd done this with like six or seven contractors, you know, one of the partners was like, I'm fed up with this. We're not doing this anymore. We're burning a lot of time on a project where we did exactly what we were asked to do. And we're financing a 20% pay cut on his dream house with our effort. Yeah, with the time, for sure. Yeah, so we basically had a very nice version of that conversation with him. <laughs> And yeah. he said, all right, I get it. I understand it. So we gave him a half size set of drawings and he started shopping it around to other contractors to get it priced. And he calls us up one day and he's like, I got it. I got it priced. And this guy can do it for $750,000. We're like, that's going to be a problem. Yes. Right? There's, right. Yeah. There's a reason why it's everybody who can do yeah, it. Is something's like, not right there. Yeah. Yeah. Something's wrong. And so. The other partner, the one who brought this project in the office, calls and has a very lengthy conversation with this contractor, going through his numbers to really kind of find out what was wrong. And after about five minutes, he found out what was wrong with his bid. He had <laughs> scaled off the half-size drawings. And yeah. so things were half as big <laughs> as what they were supposed to be. And we're like, that's awesome. And he didn't even get a half a million dollars. Like it didn't even go to half. Yeah. A, <laughs> I mean, yeah his bid was $1.5 million in reality. Yes. Yeah. Which so. That's a hysterical story. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So the, the, the solution isn't to just keep you know, like shopping to find cheaper contractors. That's not the solution like ever. Yeah. You know, no. I get it. If you had, I was going to save this for later because, but we have a project we're bidding out right now. This can be a bear trap for other architecture firms and other architects that are pricing things out. We got retained by somebody to design an office building and we did it. We did everything they asked us to do. Like we went through this marketing package. So we kind of did schematic design on it. We produced like, basically they want to shop the building to people as a developer would do. Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's designed, but it's not really designed. 
Yeah. And so they said, great, we love it. We're going to hire you to actually turn this into a real building now. So we had to go out and get proposals from other people. Like we had to get MEP proposal and structural proposal and landscape architects and civil. We had to get all these proposals. Your consultant proposals. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we kind of carefully said, you know, big firm like ours, we can say, well, here's 12 MEP firms we work with regularly. And mm-hmm. we know the workload and we know kind of the quality level versus the fee. And based on this client, let's solicit these three firms. And so they send us the bids and we look at it and our MEP bid, we got three numbers in. One was like 160, one was like 142, and one was $77,000. <laughs> we know that there's a problem, right? There's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. we also know that we can't show that number to the client because he's going to say, well, presumably, Mr. Architect, you vetted all these people, right? You all mm-hmm. said they're capable of doing this job. Doing the job, yeah. Based on the fee that they're saying that they're doing. So obviously, what number are they going to choose? $77,000. Like, yeah, I mean, if you showed it to them, but I mean, I'm assuming you called that engineer and said, hey, what's going on here? There's a problem here. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, is even when they come back and say, no, we feel good about it. You're like, okay, great. Still not putting that in front of the client. <laughs> right? And so, but that's the thing. If you start shopping around these prices and you get different numbers, you have to be prepared for somebody. Like if I present that to the client, in my professional opinion, which is what they're counting on, one of the options is profoundly less or even just less at all than the other choices, I would actually expect them to choose the lesser price because I've already qualified them. I've yeah, like even if it was 100000 or something, I mean, even if it was 110000 it's still way less than the other ones. It's still way less. There's red flags in there somewhere, and yeah, it's your job as a professional to say, mm, even yeah. though they're standing by it, I'm not sure that they're going to. Yeah. They, maybe they missed something. It could be a huge huge problem. Yeah. If we go through that kind of process. So if we circle back a little bit to the idea of quality over quantity or quantity over quality, you were kind of mentioning that in public work, this is something that's kind of evolving a little bit. Like it was always, because don't they, I mean, you and I have talked about this briefly, but let's kind of elaborate on a little bit. Sure. Like when people submit for architectural services, you get hired based on qualifications And then once you get that, then they negotiate cost. Your fee. Yes. Yes. We don't ever submit a fee for a project in the public realm. Any public work, at least in the state of Texas, that's how it is. There's legislation that keeps all that intact. So you send in your statement of qualifications and say, yeah, look, I can do this or I've done this before. And then you get selected. And then at that point, you start negotiating fee and those types of things. But then in in the bid process, right, of course, it's different. We finish our drawings. They put them out for public consumption essentially for four weeks or so whatever it is and anybody and everybody is available to bid that project as long as they meet the qualifications set forth by the client whether the city or whoever it is right and then you know in the early turn of the century (laughs) makes me laugh to say that the low bid was always the thing that happened and that was a lot of the cities and things that i dealt with that was their standard operating procedure they would take the lowest number it didn't matter there's some cities that i've done repeat work with and they've stopped doing that They've added in this qualification component that allows them to possibly shift away from the lowest bidder and go to the next lowest bidder. They have a little leeway to to make sure that they're trying to get a quality product. Because I've seen, I've seen projects where, yeah, the contractor totally blew it. I mean, he missed something completely. His bid is three hundred thousand dollars lower than someone else, and 
something. And so it happens. That's the thing that you run into. And then, of course, they want they want money because they forgot something or they didn't realize this and didn't realize that. And it just gets ugly. Yeah. Not that anybody should be infallible, but it happens in, in those situations. It gets to be really bad. You know, you don't talk about one of the other things, an anecdote that I was thinking about when we were talking about that thing where you said, you know, they wanted to cut the cost of the house and you were like, well, what do you want to really cut off? I got into a situation a few years back where it was a, a construction administration. They had hired the contractor at the same time that they hired us at the school district to do the work. And we were designing things and, you know, every once in a while we'd do a cost package for the contractor to put together to kind of make sure that we were staying on budget. And then at one point got a little bit over budget, at least in the estimates. And there was a band hall component. We were like, well, we could probably just cut that off and it would be back in budget for sure. And the school district wanted to do it and the contractor talked them into not doing it because they're like, oh, well, these are just estimates. I'm sure when we get our bid back, the numbers are going to be better. And well, of course, it turned out they weren't. <laughs> By the time we actually bid the project, it was more. And so the project ended up over budget. At that point, it's kind of locked in, right? Right. They, they had to they had to come up with the extra money and do it because everything had been already put in place. But you know, it was one of those things where I'm urging them to say, mm, it would be better to cut back and make sure that we're in your budget. And the contractor was on the opposite going, yeah, it's fine. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. <laughs> so what they end up doing, did they cut scope or did they find more money or did they make it everything cheaper? They just found more money. Well, at least that's the, that's a better way to solve it though. Yeah. They cut some corners in other places. Yeah. I mean, so it was a little bit of find the money and cut corners on some things that I don't think that they should have done. But again, at that point, Sometimes it's hard to do that because they see big numbers in the budget of like, oh, let's cut this. And it's a large number. But I'm like, eh. that's like roof insulation. All you're going to do is make your energy bills cost more because you just cut your roof from an R40 to an R20 to just barely above code. Right. But they don't see it that way. They just see that big number that gets us money back or less money out of our pocket kind of thing. Sure. As you were telling that story, and I was sitting here waiting for my turn to talk. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true at all. No, one of the things I was thinking about, and I go, yeah, I kind of went through that once in my career as well, kind of what you were describing. Years and, I mean, probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. the firm I worked for, we got hired. We did a, a series of fire stations for a while. And the, mm -hmm. one of the projects we took on, it was like when I walked in the door, they're like, okay, you're managing this job. <laughs> and it was for a community center addition. And I didn't have anything to do with the design. I didn't have anything to do with the drawings. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're just like, you're the guy that has to take care of it. Yeah, you just showed up and it was already there. Everything was done. And what we learned is that this is another one of those projects that went to the low bidder. Like we mm -hmm. had qualifications and based on these qualifications, this number was chosen because it was the most cost effective number. Great. Well, it took us a couple of months to figure out what the problem was because like right out of the gate things went south fast and hard. Ugh. And, you know, the whole idea of weaponizing the RFI mm -hmm. started figuring into Ugh, it. Yeah, that's the worst. And what we found out was the business load in the marketplace at the time was really, really high. Mm -hmm. So what they thought was, hey, we want to renovate this municipal building over here, but it's only like a $400,000 job. And we won't get anybody qualified to look at it. So we're going to do it as an add-on to this presumably $3.5 million community center. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. And so if you want one, you got to do both, right? But it was two separate drawing packages. And what happened is the winning bid didn't realize that there was this $400,000 other project. <laughs> they forgot one. 
they forgot an entire project. Yeah, they, they missed, missed it. it. And so on day one, they're behind the eight ball by almost a half million dollars. Yeah. And so during the course of like the next year and a half, I mean, I'm doing other things, but I had to manage the job. We went through like five site superintendents. We went through three project managers and the owner, every time he would see me, he's like, I'm going to ruin your life. I'm going to sue you into the ground because everything was adversarial. Every single move was adversarial. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned a lot from that project because everything went so badly. I, I actually wrote a blog post about that and it had to do with how you carry yourself matters in these situations. Yeah. Like how I behaved made a big difference because- the last project manager would just write off these like novellas of like accusatory this and you didn't do that, blah, blah, blah. And he would like carpet bomb everybody possible in the city structure of what was going on. <laughs> and he became such a whiny, whinging, broken record of it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. Everybody started to just like discount everything that he said. And the, one of the things that I learned when we go through this, they would pull out tricks. They're like, hey, on this handrail here, you say, metal handrail but you don't actually tell us like what it is and i go okay well what'd you price well we didn't price anything because you didn't tell us what it was and i go well of all the things all the options you had in the world nothing was the one thing you knew it wasn't you know it's something there it is we drew it it's got an arrow point to it exactly yeah. it says metal handrail so if you didn't put something in there for that that is your fault now you could say hey i put in this metal handrail and i come back and say well i want something better now we're having a conversation. Yeah. Right? The difference between what you assumed. Yeah. I use steel, but you wanted aluminum. Yes. That's different than you have air and I have a yeah. solid piece of something. Yeah. We knew it was something. Yeah. So that's completely your fault. This was like, I can't yeah. tell you the number of times we had that exact conversation. And he would come back and say, well, yeah. you know, in a competitive bid situation, if you don't tell me what it is, I'm not going to price it because otherwise, how would we ever win work? And I go... Well, clearly you shouldn't have won this job. I mean, that's what we're learning, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it was mind boggling. I've run into that quite often, actually, in public work, probably more than, more than I would care to admit. And my response to that is always, you had these drawings for four weeks and you bid them. That implies that you looked through them and you took care of every piece of something that was in there. If there was a question in that process, all you had to do was ask. Mm -hmm. There's always other people asking questions. I've answered probably 30 questions in that whole four weeks of what about this and what about that? And I clarified things and sent out addendums to the bid. All you had to do was ask. But yeah, it's sometimes that mentality just doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of cease to be amazed anymore with that. A similar situation that happened on a recent project was actually that uh, the contractor planned on doing some work with their own forces. I've had this happen a couple of times. Mm. Plan on doing some work with their own forces, which was like site work and installing some site utility lines with their own forces, but they didn't have a licensed plumber on their payroll. And so the city requires a licensed plumber to put in all this site utility work. And then they started complaining about stuff and how this part of the drawing wasn't right and that part of the drawing wasn't right. And that's how come we don't have the money for it and all this sort of stuff. And it really it was the fact that they had plugged in a number because they were going to use their own forces. <laughs> that mm -hmm. was just day labor. And then they had to have a licensed plumber do it. And so that number actually turned out three or four times what it would have been or what they had plugged in. And then they started raising red flags. And this is like three or four months in the project. And then they started complaining about, oh, this is wrong in the drawings and that's wrong in the drawings. 
They didn't admit it, but we found out through the plumber who actually contacted us and said, hey, here's what happened. It's funny how that those stories, like they, they never stay buried. Even the project we did down no. in San Marcos, the, you know, the contractor, for the most part, I thought they did a pretty nice job. But there were these moments where they would say, hey, in your spec section for the steel, you say we have to have a person with these qualifications inspect the steel after it's done. and that person mm-hmm. doesn't exist in San Marcos. So we'd have to get somebody from like Austin to come down. And that's like really expensive. And I go, why are you telling me this? It's in the spec. You're supposed to do it. And he's like, well, you know, yeah. but that's, that's unreasonable. Nobody here does that. And I go, I don't care what everyone does. This is what I asked you to do. And maybe you wouldn't have gotten this job if you'd actually priced it the way everyone else priced it, which was to have the, the person with the correct qualifications do the tasks that we asked them to do. So. Yeah. Don't cry to me yeah. that, hey, this thing that you missed is expensive and it's not your fault that you didn't read the documentation. I get it. This was something else. Maybe we should get back to the better, faster, cheaper kind of part of it. But, you know, there are times when <laughs> contractors miss things in projects. And this comes up in residential work fairly often, right? They just miss it. I mean, just like we miss things in drawings. It's not like anybody's perfect. Right. But where I was going with this is so. Oh, okay. Let's say that I have a client and I'm the architect and you, Andrew, you're the contractor and Mm -hmm. you're doing a a bid project or whatever. And you realize that, oh my God, I missed this, this requirement or the fact that you asked me to do X or I missed this appliance that's in the kitchen Mm -hmm. or like, oh, you had a spec to put a a really expensive refrigerator freezer in the garage. Mm -hmm. And I didn't pick that up because I didn't think that there would be appliances in the garage. And so when my appliance guy bid it, he didn't look in the garage and we missed this $8,000 refrigerator. Stuff like that happens. Yeah. So some clients will go, aha, that guy screwed. He screwed up. He's got to eat it. And I go, wait a minute. You shouldn't get something for nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? So. No, I agree. Yeah. Granted, he has some responsibility for this. But you also shouldn't draw the line in the sand and say, hey, because he made a mistake, I get this thing for free. You're like, screw that guy. Mm-hmm. And I go, we need to have a conversation about some shared responsibility. Yeah. I don't think that you should get something for nothing, but I don't think that that guy should just get free walk on this because if it was bid, right, he has some ownership of this. Yeah. But if we believe this to be a legitimate mistake, maybe you split the difference. So everybody has a little skin in this game. Mm-hmm. That's a process that we go through. I won't say it happens a lot, yeah, but it happens every couple jobs at least. Yeah, that's usually my preferred way to handle it. And again, that's about attitude, not being accusatory, but being you know cooperative, I think. Saying, hey, look, we messed up. We missed this. We want to fix it, but we can't eat it all. And here's why. And as opposed to coming in and making excuses about yeah. why it happened or trying to push the blame off on somebody else. Like, well, you only had that refrigerator shown on one page and then it was whatever, whatever, you know, and something like that. To me, it's all about if you're going to work with me, I'm going to work with you and we'll make things happen. You know, I can be on your side or not on your side. You know, it's funny how many of these stories have proved to be blog post material. (laughs) I was really embarrassed by my behavior on one of these. And part of this blog post I wrote reflected my position that I behaved poorly, but I wasn't wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. How I, how I handled it could have been better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And this had to do with during construction, I, and I might not even get this story right because I've kind of pushed it down. <laughs> I've buried it a little bit in my mind. Put it away, yeah. But 
the client said they're already they're building stuff. They're on site, and the client goes, "Hey, you know what? I want to add a garbage disposal to this one sink that's in this bedroom. Right? It was a special bedroom and had a sink in it, not a bathroom sink, but like like a kitchenette. Oh, okay. That's what it was. And they said, "Can we put a disposal on this?" And I was like, "Let me find out," because they're like on site mm-hmm. doing stuff. So I called and I said, "Hey, client wants to add a disposal. Is it too late?" And they're like, "No, it's fine." So everyone goes down the road. And they get the garbage disposal put in place. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, I don't like a while later, I get a call from the site superintendent saying, hey, there's no outlet for us to plug in this garbage Garbage disposal. disposal. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I go, so you installed a disposal, but you didn't put in an outlet to power the disposal. And he goes, well, it's not in the drawings. And I was like, wait a minute. So when I called and I said, can we do this? And you said, yes. And I said, well, then do it. The fact that I didn't send you an updated drawing that said provide outlet to power agreed upon garbage disposal. It's not a commercial job. It's yeah. a residential job. Yeah. And I go, because this is a total cover your butt moment. I fired off a text message to the project manager, which was a super nice guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you guys were doing a better effing job, and I mean, like, I, I don't curse very often. You just tore into it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, terribly. And I mean, scorched earth kind of text message this guy. And I was really pissed off at the site superintendent. His attitude was not a, how can we solve it? Or, hey, I'm installing this and there's no outlet and we need to get one. So here's how we can deal with that. It was more of a, hey, it's not in drawings. I didn't do it. It's your problem. Right? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It just sent me off the edge. So I blow up the project manager and like saying, you guys need to do your jobs. Right? This is a moment of you not doing your job. Because I told you to do it. And the fact that your site superintendent saying that he didn't do it because there's not a drawing is absolutely preposterous. And he responded back. He goes, I'll take care of it. Like he did exactly what you would want your project manager to do. Take care of it. Mm-hmm. But it made me go down this rabbit hole of how there's not a doubt in my mind that the site superintendent's behavior was a general reflection of leadership at that construction firm. And it was, this was an mm-hmm. opportunity that their first reaction was, how do I cover my ass in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. That's what his go-to move was. Yeah. I think there are those that that it's like, how do I shift blame? How do I make this not my fault? And it's disappointing. That's got to tie in back to the whole better, faster, cheaper, right? I mean, this was not the best contractor that we could have hired, possibly. We had very limited choices. Mm -hmm. This was actually a project that was fairly remote. We had limited choices to go through, but, and you know, the truth is, this particular project I'm talking about, we paid a lot. We didn't get it faster, but for the most part, it was built pretty well. They did screw up a couple of like really big things, <laughs> but they didn't flash the windows. And when I, when I called them out on it, I was like, where's the window flashing? They tried to tell me that I told them they didn't have to do it. I was like, what? <laughs> Why would I ever tell you you didn't have to flash the windows? And he goes, well, that's what we thought you said. Yeah. And I go, first off, that's ridiculous. And even if you did think that I said that, why didn't you say that's ridiculous? Right. And so I go, you got to take all these windows out and flash them and then put them back in. And because of the kind of general attitude we had towards the leadership of this firm, to this day, we're not entirely convinced that they actually took all the windows out and flashed them. And reflashed them. Because in one spot, we have a water problem in one corner. And I have no doubt, no doubt it's because the flashing is incorrect at this corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure how we need to reel this back into our conversation. 
a topic of faster, better, cheaper. But it's all of these, right? All these things are the whole idea of yeah. Normally, like there's cost. Well, remember, this is not really a better, faster, cheaper conversation. It's about a quantity and a quality, and it's a value conversation. And a value, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and where do you find your value? I think for the most part, like, for example, take this podcast, for example. We have really good equipment. Every now and then we have some technical issues that, you know, we seem to struggle with at times. But, like, our equipment, this is about as good as it gets. Like, we decided from the very beginning that if we're going to do this, Let's have good equipment, Yeah. right? Let's have good mics, good boom stands, good audio interface. Let's do all this stuff so we can try to make the sound quality as good as possible. Yeah, what is that? That saying is, buy the best and only cry once. I think it's the way that one goes. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? I have. It's perfectly appropriate. It's a pretty good mantra that you live by, I know. Buy the best, cry once. Cry once, because you buy something cheap and it breaks and you have to buy something better, then you've already spent twice the money and you're upset. Yeah, but don't you think that's kind of a mentality that a lot of architects seem to have? You know, it's kind of like, yeah, a, I, I don't want to so. buy a chair just because I need a chair. I want to save up and get the chair that yeah. I want. I mean, I think that's a mentality that we learn over time because you go through these processes so many times that you learn those things oh, over time, God. right? Yeah. Because I mean, I think, I don't know that I was that way when I was young. The older I get and the more you deal with all these things, you realize, yeah, I'm going to buy the best of whatever it is that I can afford, but maybe even save up to, for something I can't really afford. I've learned that if you don't get the best, it's going to not do what you want. Yeah. You're going to be, ultimately, you're going to end up buying the thing you want (laughs) in the end, it seems like. Yeah, you're going to be replacing the cheaper thing that you bought to get the thing that you really wanted. Yes. So Either because you want it or because it breaks. Boy, that's the heartbreaking thing. Like, for example, headphones. I have nice Bose Mm -hmm. noise-canceling headphones, and I think they're great. I use them all the time. Yeah. But with all this working from home and the... The amount of teleconferencing I'm doing now is just mind-boggling. Absurd. Yeah, I'm with you. And I wear them all the time. And I have issues with these headphones cutting out at times because sometimes it works, but if somebody calls my phone, then it goes to my phone and my meeting on the screen drops out from an audio standpoint. (laughs) That's weird. You know, so I was like, I go, this is just a complete beating. And so I ended up buying another set of headphones. So I could avoid that very issue, and they're not synced to my phone. Oh, uh-huh. The only problem with my new headphones, which are great. I really like my new headphones. I think they're really solid. The only problem that they have is that if I'm quiet, for 15 minutes, they turn off. <laughs> right? So for some reason, if I played music through them, they wouldn't. Yeah, it's but... detecting that activity, and it's, yeah. and it's fine. But if I'm just using them on a call, like what we were doing right now, which I could have, mm-hmm. and they actually have like a little microphone in the thing, so it works really good. If I just sit there and listen to you talk for 15 minutes, they're going to turn off. They'll turn off. Or they're saving your batteries, man. (laughs) I go, man, how hard is this? Yeah. yeah. Uh Turn that back around on what we do for a living as a profession. I think the idea is that if we're doing something quick, it may not have the quality or value that someone really wants. And that's one of my worst, I don't know, I don't want to say worst enemies, but one of the things I dislike the most about a lot of people that come to us and say, hey, I need this done and you can do it in a month. And it's like, no, I can't do it in a month. I mean, I could do it in a month, but you don't want me to do it in a month. You want me to take my time and you want me to do it right. And not that I wouldn't do it right in a month, but the amount of right you're getting is not the same amount. You're going to get less production out of it if you want it in a month, but that's not always, there's that balancing act. But I feel like for us, it's more about 
what we do actually takes time. It's not like we get to punch a button and everything just fixes itself on the computer. <laughs> you know, like people think it does. Oh, well, you just draw it and on the computer. It's fine. You can do that in a month. <laughs> You're like, that's not really what we do. There are people that do that, that will do it for you that are fast and cheap, but they don't have the level of expertise and value and knowledge that we do. Okay, so let's take that in another step. And we say, all these things come at a cost, right? Mm -hmm. Either time, money, resources, there's something, and you're trying to find some kind of balance. But we all know that the way architects deal with it a lot of times is we don't think of time necessarily in the same linear manner that our clients might. Yeah, probably. So when they say, I want this and I want it like from you, which I would suggest means that's the quality, mm -hmm. right? They're coming to me because they want quality. Yes. But I want it, I want you to give me the friends and family discount. Like I want it cheaper, like the services. So if we're talking about services, because we do a lot of work with you, I want you to give yourself a haircut on this because I need to, I need you to do it for 10% less than you normally do. Mm -hmm. And you're good clients. We go, okay, well, that's something we can accommodate. And then they say, but I need to have it done in this like ridiculously <laughs> short amount of yeah. time, which is not normally how long it would take. Yeah. And so our way of dealing with it is not to push back on it. It's to say, okay, well, instead of working eight hour days, we're going to work 10 hour days. And so that way I'm able to add 20% to my work schedule without actually adding any days to mm -hmm. my work schedule. I just work more hours in my day and I fabricate additional time without moving the parameters. Like the start date and the end date didn't change, but I found 20% more time in my calendar. That is something that architects do a lot. Which we shouldn't. Which we shouldn't. Because we're not getting paid for that extra 20% usually. We're not getting paid for it. That's the real issue. Yeah. And the problem is, is we're, there's not a good way for us to internalize that because we're hesitant to say, no, we're not going to do that because then they'll just go to the next person who'll say, yeah, I could use the work. I'll do that. Yeah, I can do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Right. And so it, it causes problems. They're going to say, sure, $77,000 and I'll do it. Yeah. Like if you need it done, let's hire this cheaper guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes that's a problem. I think in times like now where it's really, where the economy is suffering, man, I think that happens a whole lot more. I notice that in the, the economy swings, those cycles that it's during rough economic times, it's always easier for somebody to find somebody that's willing to do it cheaper, which hurts, but you know, that is what it is. I think there's a certain time where I, I'm not going to sacrifice a certain level of quality that I want to provide, if that makes sense. Of course it does. I mean, I want to maintain that, that quality as a value to me. It is something that I can provide and that people expect when they get my drawings and things like that. Sacrificing that is not often worth it to me, depending upon, you know, how much you're asking me to cut. Yeah, but look at this. All right. So basically what we're talking about now, so we start off with better, faster, cheaper. Mm -hmm. So we're saying better and cheaper are covered, right? Because we're saying you can't have all three. But yet I just found a way to make it faster. Like I've just cut 20% off of my actual time. So in a sense, I just did give you better, faster, and cheaper. But you shouldn't. I shouldn't. But it also means that I'm not guaranteed to have success, even though I accomplished the goal of better, faster, cheaper. In a sense, yeah. I've just lost because there's other costs that are associated, like scalability is kind of a cost and burnout of my employees. There's other things that go into what I pay to make something happen. Mm -hmm. And if I solve the faster part by just working more hours in a day, I can tell you the first job I had out of college, that was how we worked. It was, we did a lot of retail stores. I mean, that's what I was doing when I got out of school. And mm -hmm. they'd say, hey, here's this new store. We're going to roll it out. I want it done in a week and a half. And, you know, basically my boss at the time goes, I don't care. You can spend as much time as you want designing it. 
but it all has to be done by Wednesday next week. In a week and a half, yeah. Yeah. You want to spend 20 hours a day because you want to design for just like, you just want to just kill it. You want the quality, like you want the design to be there. He goes, mm-hmm. I don't care. You just have to be done by Wednesday. So I'd say for the first three years out of school, I probably worked on average at least 60 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. It was all the, I don't think I, I worked every yeah, weekend, just, at least one day, every weekend, all the time. That's just terrible. Cause that's how we worked. That's how it worked. Right. Yeah. But that's not economically viable. I mean, it shouldn't be because you working that much is not, you're only making $5 an hour by the time you equate all that stuff out. And the firm's not making the same amount either. Well, but here's the thing. Back then, it was a bunch of young people. And so I was happy because part of my compensation, air quotes, was more responsibility, more design opportunity. Mm -hmm. Sure. It took me longer to get to the same thing, but I was getting the chance to do it. So I would spend more time than maybe, like if somebody had to go home because they had a family waiting for them or whatever. Sure. I didn't have any of those things. Sure. So I was more than happy to get to work at 7.30 in the morning and work till nine o'clock at night every single night of the week. Yeah. What else was I going to be doing? So I was more than happy to do that. And we're able to do more work with fewer staff because we're able to keep our deadline dates, like our calendar dates didn't move, but we just put in more hours. So financially, the boss was killing it. Well, yeah. Like he maybe. absolutely was killing it. Oh, I know. I know he was. This is not hyperbole. No, I know. I'm just saying like, that's not a good business model. In my opinion, I understand that that happens. No, it's, it's an irresponsible business model, right? But the incentive is, I mean, he worked just as much as anybody else did. I mean, if I'm being fair, he, mm-hmm. he was there just as much as we were there. I understand. Because it was fun and it was exciting and all that kind of stuff. But the reason why it's not a good business model is because I quit. You got burnt out. Right? After three years, I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. And let me tell you, I was the best employee that guy ever had. <laughs> the best. All right. All right. So I think that. And on that note. <laughs> on that note. So I, I actually think this was a, was an interesting chat just to talk about quantity and value and deliverables and all that kind of good stuff. But we're getting to the end of the show and we need to get in this episode's Would You Rather. Da, da, da. So let's just get to yes, it. Yes. Let's do it. Would you And rather. I know Andrew hadn't spent any time thinking about it because he didn't look at the question. No. And then, but when I told him before we hit the record button, he thinks there's an. Not necessarily an obvious answer. And I'm like, there's absolutely an obvious answer. So maybe this question will be more interesting. Than okay. Yeah. Right, so here we go. Would you rather, would you rather have six dogs or six cats? Yeah. See, to me, there's not an obvious answer here. Both options are terrible. Oh, God. So- I'll go ahead and talk through it. But you're going to say my answer is wrong. I'm, I'm already fairly certain of that. I would probably, well, actually, here's the question. What kind of, are these indoor cats and indoor dogs? Are they outdoor dogs? Are they indoor, outdoor? Well, I mean, what's the scenario of these things, or does it matter? I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Okay, then then I'm definitely going to go with cats, which I'm sure you're going to say is the wrong answer. Yeah, you'd rather have six cats than six dogs. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's the wrong answer. I'd rather have six indoor, outdoor cats because if I can let them out, you know, I usually have about two cats. The indoor cats are driving me nuts, but when I had indoor and outdoor cats and I could just let them out during the day and let them back in at night, that's an easy, that's a cakewalk. I mean, there's not a lot of work involved in that. Yeah. Because there wasn't really litter box duty. You just had to put out food. It was the best. Maybe not the best, but it was better than having six indoor cats. So yeah, I'm going to go with cats because they're just kind of less work all the way around and they kind of tend to leave you alone. Yeah. 
it's got to be cats. The answer has got to be cats. Let's say that we get rid of the indoor oh, really? outdoor parts. Yeah. Let's say that they're all indoor cats. The answer is still cats, <laughs> despite the fact that you have to empty the litter box. Yeah. Right? As uh, bad yeah, as, yeah. as that is. Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you this. I'm curious as to why you're saying that. Let me answer. So for a period of time, until just recently, we had two dogs and two cats. We're down to two dogs and one cat. One of them passed away. Oh. And so, but when I walk in the door, the cats, nothing. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they were being clingy, the worst they would do is walk over and like want to sit on my lap or something. That's it. Rub against your leg. Yeah, yeah. Really not that big a deal. The dogs, however, they're like, oh, oh my God, you're home. Like they're bonkers, right? Yeah, they come and attack you essentially. Yeah, and I know the whole rules. Like I don't, like my dogs are pretty well trained, but man, they got energy and they want, mm -hmm. they want to play and they want to play with me. And if I'm in the house, it's me. If I'm not there, yeah. they'll, they'll go sit by my wife or do whatever. But if I walk in the door... <laughs> It's me. And if I, yeah. and this is fairly common, I'll come home and I'll just like, oh, on the couch. I will lay down on the couch because I just like, I, yeah, one of the, it's always that way. The little one will run and jump up and she knows that I don't want her on me. So we have like a sectional couch and she'll come get as close as she possibly can. And she'll be going, <laughs> just a hot dog <laughs> breathing me like by my head. And I'm like, yeah. oh, your breath is terrible. And the big dog will come over and she's big enough to where she'll just come and like lay her head can give me sad dog eyes and mm -hmm. put her head on my chest. Yeah. They just, they just want attention and they just love you. And I'll go, God, these dogs are driving me crazy. And my wife goes, they just love you so much. And I go, I wish they <laughs> yeah, loved like, somebody else. <laughs> and you're like, but I don't love them as much as they love me. And I love somebody else for a while. Yeah. I go, I just want not, maybe not all the time, not all the time. If they don't have to be by me, they're in the house mm -hmm. all the time. We put them out, but yeah. they don't stay outside. So like when it's nighttime, the little one sleeps on the bed, but she sleeps on by the foot of the bed because she knows if she comes up, I'm going to punch her off. The big dog sleeps. Like if I get out of the bed in the middle of the night, I got to be careful. I will step on the dog. You're going to step on the dog. Yeah. And so it's too much. Two dogs is too much. And I still have to go out in the yard and pick up, you know, the little packages that they leave, which is, I don't know how two dogs do what they do. Can't imagine six. what six dogs would do. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would much rather clean up six cat boxes than scooping six dogs worth of in the backyard. Yeah, right. Yeah, no question. Yeah, dogs are just too. much. If it was one dog versus one cat, I'd go dog. Mm. I'd take one dog over one cat. Interesting. Yeah, I'd even take uh, two cats with one dog. Uh, you know. Yeah, I like cats. I'm a cat. I like cats. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, and I like dogs. It's just dogs are a lot of work. Maybe not a lot of work, but dogs need a lot of attention. And I found when I was traveling a lot that I don't have the time to give them that attention. When I was gone all the time and traveling and then when, you know, we were doing stuff, it's just they need attention more than actually, probably more than children need attention. I mean, they're like the most <laughs> needy animal ever. Yeah, they love us so much. Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy that, but that constant like you're talking about, like always. I feel like dogs never have an off and they never get enough. I don't think it would matter if you paid attention to them. All they do is want more. Like it just increases their appetite for it the more yes. you actually pay attention to them. Yes. So if you walk them once every day and spend an hour playing with them, it wouldn't take long where that wouldn't be enough, right? They just want oh, no, two hours no. and two walks and, you know, it's just. Yeah. 
the capacity is just on overload. And that's great, but that's not for me. It's a lot. Yeah, so for yeah. me, definitely six cats over six dogs. That's a no-brainer. That's interesting. I figured you were going to go with dogs. But then when I thought about it, you're having to deal with the dogs all the time. We've had discussions, so. It's just, it's intense. I mean, who knows? You know, I'm going to probably be an old man that dies with 90 cats. <laughs> I'll be the old cat man. Yeah. Well, hey, the two cats we had, yeah. you know, down to one, they were sisters. They were from the same litter. Oh, all right. One of them was an extremely difficult. It's like the worst thing ever. The one cat that was kind of a jerk and her fur is kind of coarse. Yeah. She's not friendly really to anybody. <laughs> yeah. She was fine. Like she didn't do anything, right? She just like sluggo. Yeah. The cat that was super friendly, anybody could pet her. She had like the softest, silkiest fur ever. She's the one that pees all over the place mm. and like scratches the furniture and like is like, you're a bad cat, but you're the only cat that actually, like, at least you give us attention. And love. Attention, Tom. Yeah, yeah, you come sit on our lap and you let us pet you. And yeah. the other cat's like, just feed me. Screw off. That's what the <laughs> other cat was like. Right? Yeah. And, of course, my daughter loves that cat because that cat just, when it says screw off, it goes to her room to, like, disappear. And she's like, my cat loves me. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I'm like, fine, you can have her. Yeah, you take her with you. But the other dogs. And, you know, and they're really smart. I have Australian Shepherds. They're, like, smart dogs. Yeah. I don't have to worry about them eating socks or chewing slippers or biting holes in the wall. Or They're not destructive animals. My dogs are well behaved. Yeah. They just, they need a lot of attention. So I don't know how, I don't know how sex would work. Yeah. And I find that like when they need attention, that's when they start acting out and chewing up stuff too, right? Like, I don't think there's enough in me to give attention to six dogs. It's just, it's an impossibility. If that'd be a full-time job. Do six dogs like play with each other and they don't need you so much? Do your two dogs play with each other and they don't need you that much? Well, no, one's 60 pounds and one's eight pounds. So they like slow wrestle with each other every now and then. Yeah, but they still want attention from you. I don't think that matters. Yeah. Not, well, the big dog ain't burning off energy with this little tiny dog. Yeah, true. I mean, like if I like to take them to a dog park, and that's the other thing I learned. Australian Shepherds, they don't like other people and they don't like other dogs for the most part. Oh, really? They're, they're like, this is my herd and they're very protective. And so we can't take them to dog parks and say, go run around and have fun with other dogs. Because they don't like other dogs. They're like, who are you? They'll just stay right there beside you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so really, it's it's six Great Danes. Oh, my God. You just, like, lash two together and put a saddle on them. That would be fun. Uh, four or fi five. You just have a- A walking bed. Have a, a carriage ride <laughs> through your through your neighborhood. Yes. Oh, uh, But I was thinking about the backyard quality of six Great Danes. Oh, I, You'd need a giant bag for that. You need a giant oh. yard for that. You'd have no grass. It'd just be dirty. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's wrap that up. Six cats. It's the right answer. <laughs> cats. Yes, cats. Cats is the answer. Okay. So there you go. Another amazing show completed. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Andrew and I assuredly did. Thank you for being with us today for episode 69. Better, faster, cheaper. We would like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button so you can get sparkly new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star 
which is better and do it right now so it's faster waiting be sure to visit the original life of an for show notes links info and photos from this glorious episode thanks so much for tuning in take it easy everybody cheers